Welcome to Kingdom Talk Radio Hour with Dennis McCork, founder of God Hope Ministries. Kingdom Talk is where Christ is King, and we are the subjects and citizens of the Kingdom of God. Welcome to Kingdom Talk 1550KXEX, and we are very honored today to have Vishal Mengelwadi here on KXEX. And Vishal is an author of over 20 books, historian, scholar, and lecturer. In 2003, the William Carey International University awarded him a doctorate in law. And uh, he's also had appearances on the Eric Metaxa show and recently on the Jordan Peterson podcast and show. And so Vishal, thank you for this opportunity to introduce you to our audience. Thank you very much. We have been in Fresno for a while and it is nice to get connected to your audience. Yes, it is a blessing for us. And the reality is many people uh, here already know who you are and around the world. You know, I do work with YWAM uh, and uh, they're very familiar with you. In fact, I understand Lauren Cunningham is a, a friend of yours as well. Yes, he has been very kind in endorsing some of our books and also the third education revolution when we launched it in Indonesia. He personally encouraged the Konag uh, YWAM mm-hmm. to support what we were doing in Indonesia and then the YWAM in uh, Melbourne, Australia, got behind it, and we can talk about it later. So it was very kind of Lauren to uh, support, not just endorse the books, but in fact, in one of his books on uh, the book that changed world or mm-hmm. transformed world, he summarized one of our books on William Carey, this book actually. Oh, okay. So the chapter on India mm-hmm. uh, is a summary of this book. Wow. Now, for those who don't know, Lauren Cunningham is the founder of Youth with a Mission. And uh, I've met Lauren personally. His wife uh, uh, grew up in a church. Her father pastored a church in Redwood City, California. That's where I was raised. Hmm. Um, but he's such a treasure, uh, for sure. And uh, I'm just uh, you know grateful that you're here to share your story. And it's good for people to get a little feel for who you are and how God has formed you over your life. And uh, you're not a man that's afraid of controversy, are you? Uh, well, I don't seek controversies because my wife, if not the Holy Spirit, restrains me. But I do find myself getting into trouble. Well, in, just like Paul was. There you go. You know, um, you're a troublemaker as far as the devil's concerned. So, so in 1980, you were incarcerated in jail in India for your faith, weren't you? Yes, I had actually at least a dozen cases. I was arrested several times. Wow. 1980 was the first time. You are a troublemaker then. So now in your time in jail, you wrote your first or second book, maybe, uh, Truth and Social Reform. Is that correct? Yes. It uh, um, original version was called Truth and Social Reform. Mm-hmm. And when I was thrown in jail, my pastor really was mocking me that he'd been in Christian service for 50 years. He had never seen a police station from inside. And here I was a young man who had actually been thrown not just in police station, but in jail. Um, So um, how is that possible? So I was forced, well, I had the time to read the Bible afresh, that why was Paul getting into trouble all the time? Why is Jesus uh, healing the sick? Man paralyzed for 38 years, uh, man born blind. And each time people are trying to kill him, get angry at him. Mm-hmm. So why, what was happening? So that gave me a perspective on the New Testament that how 
the scriptures changed the world, why translation of the Bible began to reform Europe. Absolutely. Paul, on his second missionary journey there, he comes into Thessalonica and then Berea, and he said, those those who have turned the world upside down have come here. Exactly. And so that's what we're called to do, is turn the world upside down. Yes. If the kingdom of darkness reigns, if light comes in, there is a conflict between light and darkness. Those who love darkness, they hate the light. So that conflict is inevitable because the whole gospel is set in Matthew 4, Luke 4, Jesus, uh, Satan says to Jesus that the kingdoms of this world are mine. Is he lying? Is he bluffing? Jesus doesn't think so. Jesus calls him the prince mm. of this world. Yes. Who is being judged on the cross, through the cross. So in the, the kingdom of Satan, God's kingdom has come. That's the conflict. And when Jesus says to Peter that he's going to build his church upon this rock, gates of hell shall not prevail mm. against it. So there's a conflict because the church that Jesus is establishing is an invading force yes. to bring people out of Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom. And Satan doesn't like that. Because gates are for protection, right? So we, we actually storm the gates of hell. And as you were saying, this contrast between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, we know in First John 5, it says the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. And so that's where the trouble comes, isn't it? You know, and, and the devil always overplays his hand. And when persecution comes, God turns it for the advancement of his kingdom, doesn't he? If we are obedient and if we are willing to take up our cross. There you go. Absolutely. Now, um, this book, Truth and Social Reform, just briefly, what, what was that book well, about? Now or is it about? Now it's called Truth and Transformation, okay. published by YWAM. Okay. Uh, and uh, it has been selling. It was published in 2009, and actually it's the Appendix 3 of that book, which has grown into this massive 750-page book, The Third Education Revolution. Mm. So it was through that book, uh, published by YWAM, called Truth and Transformation, which uh, w- which started this third education revolution about which we will talk. But the um, uh, original version was called Truth and Social Reform, and it did begin with a chapter called Jesus the Troublemaker. Mm, there that, we go. Yes. That's exactly what we're talking about. And yeah. And so uh, before we move on, though, did you want to explain any more about what actually got you in jail? I know it was your faith, but what what happened? That had been a hailstorm, two and a half minutes of hail, Mm -hmm. which flattened the crop in over 100 villages. Mm -hmm. I asked the Lord to help us give some relief. Next day, a gentleman came. Uh, We were living in the middle of nowhere. Uh, He worked hard to track us down. Because people in Delhi, the capital of India, had been talking about Ruth and I, that here are, I was already a published author. My first book, The World of Gurus, had Mm. become a national sensation. It was reviewed by the largest weekly magazine in India for eight or nine weeks in a row. They would take one chapter, summarize it. It was a study of Hindu gurus. That made the book a textbook at the university level. It's still taught in Cambridge for contemporary Hinduism. Very good. So, so uh, 
so people were talking about it that here are these successful thinkers, writers who have gone in the middle of nowhere to serve the poor. So he wanted to see me. And it turned out that he had, be, he had become, uh, he was a re- retired military colonel who had become a leader of a, a philanthropic organization, director, and he offered to give the money for the relief. So uh, this was three, four days after uh, the hailstorm. Nobody, no politician, no bureaucrat had talked about relief. So the press blew up uh, the our project and asked farmers to come to uh, our office, collect the forms, uh, file in their requests, the damage that has been done. Mm-hmm. We will go and assess uh, and grant relief. Well, because the press made a big deal of it, uh, I got a formal notice from the district magistrate that your relief work is illegal. Mm. There is a law in our state which says that in the event of a natural calamity, no one is allowed to collect donations for relief without official permission. So uh, you're breaking that law. So I apologized formally uh, that uh, we didn't know about this law. We will obey it. We will not collect any donations. We will just give relief. I got a second notice that if you're not collecting donations, how can you give relief? Your work is illegal. So I said, we shall obey because we are commanded to obey the authorities and magistrates. Uh, We will only pray for relief. So the Gandhi ashram, uh, Mahatma Gandhi's prayer meetings were very Christian in a theistic sense, Old Testament sense. So they invited us to organize this prayer because they had been watching us uh, for three, four years of what we're doing with the poor Mm -hmm. uh, at the risk of our lives. So we organized a non-sectarian prayer meeting in Gandhi Ashram uh, premises to bring the people together to ask the Lord, maybe the government itself will give relief and we don't have to do it. So I got the, another notice from the district magistrate that an intelligence report says that your prayer meeting will disturb peace and tranquility of my district. Uh, therefore, it is banned. Stop that prayer meeting. And then that gave us the problem that do we have to obey this? Because this is violating farmers' right to pray. And this is not a sectarian meeting. It's not being held in a church. Uh, so we decided that no, we cannot obey this uh, because this is a, a direct violation of the scriptures and the constitution of India. You must Which, obey God rather yes. than man. So uh, I was summoned by the highest police officer, the superintendent of police, who sat me down for one and a half hours or so in his lawn, offered me tea and biscuits and Indian snacks and said, that, look, I have a very big file on you, 300 pages. I know everything you're doing in our villages. I know that no one has done for the poor what you're doing. And also, I've not read your book, but I have read the reviews of your book. There is no one in our district who is an internationally published author. Uh, so I really respect you, but you cancel that prayer meeting. Otherwise, I will personally kill you. I don't need an arrest warrant. I won't take you before a magistrate. I'll take you from your home into the jungle, shoot you, throw your body. Hyenas will eat it. Are you going to cancel that prayer meeting? I said, well, sir, I'll have to ask my wife if she's okay being a widow. 
uh, he understood that I was not taking him seriously. Mm. So he spent about an hour telling me how many people he had killed. These are extrajudicial murders. Mm. Uh, and then he told me, are you going to cancel that meeting? I said, not without talking to my family and my community. Uh, so he let me go. We decided after much consideration that, yes, we cannot underestimate the power of darkness, but we have to do what we have to do. If we stop the prayer meeting, we are not good shepherds. We are hirelings who run away when the wolves come. So we must continue the prayer meeting. They can do what they want to do. So, But by that time, I had so much press support locally that they didn't kill me. They threw me in jail. Mm. So, but uh, the, this, they sent me to a different district, Tikamgarh district, you know, where the jailer had no reason to be afraid of our politicians and officials in our district. So he gave me a VIP hall, a big hall, uh, where I was alone in the jail, uh, and had the time to exercise, to study, to rest. And that's when I began to take a fresh look at the cross, at the gospel, at the New Testament. So the book Truth and Transformation, especially from chapter 5 onwards, which was written first, uh, is a fresh study of the New Testament. That Why did the Bible, the gospel, change the world? Uh, how does the truth liberate and transform? That's the study. Look at that. I mean, I can't help but think of Paul, you know, writing his epistles from prison uh, and how that that was uh, used of the Lord to, to bring the gospel to the whole world. And uh, again, uh, persecution, when you respond in faith by the leading of the Lord, it does advance the kingdom of God. And so thank you for your faith and your courage there to take that stand, Vishal. And, and for your, your wife and your family to stand with you through that. Now, you were a disciple of Francis Schaeffer, who is also known to be a world changer. Uh, what did you uh, know of Francis? How did you know him? Uh, did you spend some time at Labrie there in Switzerland? Or? Well, yes, I was in Labrie for six months in 1973, the last, last from July to December. Yeah. 74 January, I went back to India. Um, so... It had a huge impact on me because I had become a Christian as a teenager in a moral struggle against uh, my habit of shoplifting and lying. Uh, I was particularly concerned with my habit of lying because uh, I, was, I would lie when there was nothing to be gained by lying. Telling the truth would have been simple. Mm -hmm. uh, but it had become a nasty habit. Now, I was addicted to lying, but I had never heard the word addiction. I didn't really know what sin is until a gentleman explained to me that uh, I thought I lacked willpower to control my tongue. So I would meditate to increase my willpower, um, like the Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> but but uh, he explained that you don't lack willpower. You are quite a stubborn young man. Uh, what You have a disease. That has power over you. The disease is called sin. There's a good news that a Savior came to deliver us from our sin. Yes, he did. So, so I asked Jesus to save me. And I was asking him to save me from this habit of lying. He went ahead and saved me from the habit of stealing. So I was able to go back to these shops from where I had shoplifted and apologized and offer restitution money. Wonderful. Uh, thankfully, nobody took the money. 
because <laughs> I didn't have much of it anyway. So, but anyway, uh, I began to love Jesus, witness about him, serve him, be excited about him. But when I came to the university, uh, the doubts began to creep in. My professors are a lot more learned than my pastors. Professors don't believe the Bible. Why should I follow the pastors into believing that the Bible is God's word? So I gave up my faith in the Bible, and that became a challenge because doubting the Bible was easy. What then do you believe was the tough question. And I decided that I'm going to believe what the best, best philosophers and scientists believe. Mm-hmm. So by that time, I had just finished my undergraduate course in philosophy, and I began to review my course, and I began to realize that my professors all along knew that the philosophers knew that they did not know the truth and that they could not know the truth. So uh, philosophers are blind guides leading blind students like me. Uh, Now, somebody introduced me to Francis Schaeffer's book, Escape from Reason, because this is what he was saying in this book, that the enlightenment, the faith in human reason had ended uh, in despair, that best philosophers, scientists know that they don't know the truth and that they cannot know the truth. Human mind is not an instrument. It is an instrument for receiving, analyzing, scrutinizing, um, but truth comes to us. uh, So I came to the conclusion that we are perhaps, the Buddha was right. Uh, I come from the same people group as uh, the founder of Buddhism, the Buddha. He said that we are like five blind men trying to make sense of an elephant. Mm -hmm. One person holds the leg and says elephant is like a pillar. The other says, no, 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 I'm feeling the elephant. It's like a wall because he's touching the stomach. The third one says, no, both of you are fools, you're men. How can you know the truth? I'm holding the elephant, it's like a rope. So she's holding the tail, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, maybe we can never know the truth uh, because all of us are blind. Yes. No, all of us are finite. Well, but that raised the question that if five blind men are looking at the elephant, could there be a sixth person who is not blind? Mm-hmm. Could he know the truth? Could he communicate it to the five of us? Uh, The philosophical answer to my question was, yes, the concept of blindness exists because sight exists. If no one had the eyes to see, uh, we, uh, we wouldn't talk about blindness. So sight must exist for blindness to exist. Mm -hmm. Uh, But is Okay, we have the eyes, therefore we can see the elephant. Wrong. Eyes are useless without the light. Unless there is light, my eyes cannot see the elephant. Uh, not even the elephant in the room. So, <laughs> so light, can revelation exist? Is there a God? Has he spoken? And this is where Schaefer's book, He's There and He's Not Silent, became very useful but I had come to believe the Bible before I went to Labrie. Uh, uh, so that's another long story for, for another time, but well, short, short question. Well, that's uh, very, very, very important, though. You know, Paul talks about in Colossians, he says, that no, let no one take you captive through uh, vain philosophy and the traditions of men. And, and we also see in his, in his first letter to the church in Corinth, 
that uh, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom or man's philosophy knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom or philosophy. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews, a stumbling block and under the Greeks foolishness. Yeah. So th- that was Francis Schaeffer's uh, unique contribution that in that day, 50 years ago, he had the courage to really speak into the chaos and confusion of Western intellectuals, that thinking of themselves to be wise, they have actually become fools. Mm. They don't even know what is male and what is female. Look today. What is love and what is marriage. Right. Uh, what is divorce, what is family. So uh, they are the ones who are educating our children. They are the ones who are making policy decisions and imposing them by force because they don't believe that you have a conscience where you can disagree mm. with them. So conscience is outlawed because human body has no organ called conscience. Conscience is an aspect of human soul, mm-hmm. part of God's image in us, mm-hmm. which judges us and also encourages us. So uh, the, 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 the West is losing its tolerance Um, At the university level, it will soon come into the political level. In some places, such as Canada, it has already uh, uh, taken over uh, much of public policy. That Because tolerance uh, became a part of Western political philosophy because of the New Testament doctrine of conscience. From the Reformation. Luther was, of course, the Roman Catholics believed in the doctrine of conscience. Mm-hmm. And Luther, as a Roman Catholic monk in 1521-22, in the Diet of Worms, he made his classic statement that my conscience is captive to the Word of God. Therefore, I cannot recant. It's not because of my stubbornness, but because my conscience is surrendered to the Word of God, it is not right, it's not safe to go against one's conscience. Now, th- that was his statement about here I stand. Right. But uh, 12 years or so, 14 years later, he preached a sermon in Marburg University on two kingdoms. Yes. Uh, that church and the emperor mm-hmm. does not rule over my conscience. Mm-hmm. Christ is my Lord. He rules over my conscience. Church does rule over me. My leaders have authority over me. Emperor has authority over me. But there are two kingdoms. Christ's kingdom has come. Mm -hmm. He is my Lord. This sets my conscience free, both from the authority of the Pope and the authority of the emperor. So that became a very important uh, sermon of Luther, Mm -hmm. uh, rightly or wrongly, John Locke used it in his argument for toleration. When the Bill of Rights was introduced in British Parliament uh, uh, after William of Orange took over, uh, became the monarch in London, uh, the Bill of Rights was introduced and Luther's sermon was quoted when James Madison brought the Bill of Rights in uh, American Congress, mm-hmm. U.S. Congress, he used Luke, Luther's sermon on two kingdoms as the basis for tolerance, freedom of religion, freedom of conscience. 
So it was through Westminster Confession, 1640s, when the Long Parliament under Cromwell appoint, uh, established a group of theologians uh, called together 70 or so theologians to write Westminster Confession. The chapter 20 of that confession is a chapter on conscience, and Parliament voted to accept West, Westminster Confession as the summary of biblical faith, biblical truth. And it was through that that conscience, which was always part of the New Testament biblical Christianity, became part of Western philosophy, which, as the West turns away from the Bible, it has no reason to accept, give people the freedom of conscience because the human body has no organ called conscience. And that's what you mean by tolerance. You're not talking tolerance the way liberals use that. You're, you're, you're talking tolerance in the sense of freedom of religion, allowing for public discourse and disagreement and freedom of conscience to have tolerance for uh, the individual to hear from God and obey God rather than man. True. Uh, that's very true. And in my other book, which uh, I will give it to you, it's called This Book Changed Everything. There is a whole chapter on history of tolerance. So while doctrine of conscience mm -hmm. and the kingdom of God, right. that Jesus is my king, he is my Lord, was the source of Luther's struggle against his church, because he is a radical who's rebelling against the church and against um, the, the emperor, but uh, that was not the only thing. The biblical teaching on truth was used by John Milton, 100 years after Luther, to argue for tolerance in British Parliament. So what had happened was after Charles I, King Charles was executed, after uh, revolution, civil, uh, revolutionary war in England, mm -hmm. uh, English civil war, um, uh, and Cromwell became the Puritan uh, lord, mm -hmm. uh, ruler of England, um, the Puritan parliament abolished the chamber, which was star chamber, which, used, which was used by the uh, earlier kings to investigate heresies, punish heretics, that no, this whole judicial wing of judiciaries, like you have Supreme Court, mm -hmm. there, there was Star Chamber, mm -hmm. which is public, uh, uh, judicial, usually, yeah. judicial element. That was abolished. Yeah. But a bill was introduced by Puritans that before anyone can write anything, publish anything in England, they must get approval from a committee of the parliament. So there will be a censor board uh, like you have censor board for the movies, there will be a censor board which will judge everything before anything is, can be published. So Milton, who was uh, secretary for Latin, which means education secretary at that time in Cromwell's parliament, uh, cabinet, he uh, wrote a speech called Areopagitica. Um, he never was able to give that speech to parliament, but he published it as a pamphlet which became uh, far more than John Locke. This is before John Locke. Mm -hmm. um, it argued that no people should be allowed to publish what they think, seriously believe, right or wrong. If they are wrong, they should that falseness, falsehood should be critiqued 
with arguments, with reason, with evidence, not with the sword of the king. So political force should not be used to uh, separate truth and falsehood. Arguments, reason, questioning, study, evidence should be used. So uh, don't have the censor board. Give people the freedom to publish whatever they want. It sounds publish. like the Ministry of Truth that's trying to be established here by the current administration. <laughs> but, out, out but you're bringing so much history, uh, Vishal, and, yes. and you're a wealth of knowledge, and we so appreciate that. I wanted to make sure that we uh, tied that into a, a bow there with regards to Francis Schaeffer. And his, so you're, you're a disciple. You were a young man, and, and you were having a crisis of faith, uh, and you encounter Francis Schaeffer, and what did he... Uh, impart to you as as a young man? Well, one of the very important things, you know, the first time I met him, uh, I just landed in Lebrun. Can you explain who Francis Schaeffer is for those who don't know? Okay. Well, uh, uh, everybody knows the Roe versus Wade, the battle over abortion. Yeah, we're talking about it today. Uh, yes, uh, which is happening right now in America. Yes. The Supreme Court decision, possibly overturning uh, the ruling from 50 years ago, yes. uh, which allowed abortion, gave to mothers the right to kill their babies. Mm-hmm. Now, Francis Schaeffer was the person who began this fight. Isn't that amazing? Mo- mobilizing the church. How many years ago? Uh, his book, um, <clears throat> the second book, the first major was, uh, I mean, he had written a lot of books. Sure. But the big one was, uh, how should we then live? There you go. But after that, <clears throat> he wrote a second book, uh, Whatever Happened to the Human Race, mm. in which he took on abortion and euthanasia. And the church was asleep at that time with yeah. regards to abortion. It was almost as if it didn't have any impact. And that was really almost like Luther's battle cry, the just shall live by faith, that uh, sparked the Reformation, I'm not saying that it's the equivalent, but what I'm saying is that Francis Schaeffer's engagement with the culture uh, regarding pro-life uh, and, and wanting to stop abortion, it, it actually caused the church to awaken to that. And it ended up being something that was a snowball that just has rolled all the way down to this day up to this point where it's potentially going to be overturned here in the next couple yeah. months. Well, the Roman Catholics were always uh, are significant voices such uh-huh. as Mother Teresa. Uh-huh. They were always a Have you met her, by the way? In no, my, my wife did. Okay. I've been to her uh, places, but I okay. actually yeah. didn't meet her. So uh, Roman Catholics, even in America, were against abortion. But you're right that the Protestant Evangelical Church uh, was <clears throat> not involved, engaged with culture, mm-hmm. because uh, uh, just before World War One, the American church had begun to really isolate from culture. Premillennialism, maybe maybe uh, dispensationalism, that, a, that view, was, a view that things are going to get worse yes. uh, and not better. Yes. Uh, and I think that's, that's true. Yes. So modern America as a great nation was creation of post-millennialism from right. Jonathan Edwards until D.L. Moody. Mm-hmm. Following D.L. Moody, premillennialism began to gain ground. And it really took over the American church in between the two wars. So eschatology matters, and I would love to have another time to talk more about 
that and how it impacts our life, how we understand the, the revelation, how we understand end time uh, prophecies and such. Uh, and so, so Francis Schaeffer then, um, he's, he's writing these books, he's coming to an awareness that we need to engage the culture, and then come, along comes Vishal, and, and, and how did you encounter him? Well, uh, I should make a side remark first that Schaefer was also a premillennialist. Yes. <clears throat> he was a child of his age. Yes. <clears throat> but we'll discuss that another I time. I want to. I want to have a special it, yes. podcast or show yes. specifically yes. on eschatology. Sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, le- leaving that part aside, w- when I first met him, he bowed down uh, half. He bent down mm-hmm. to greet me, to welcome me. Wow. Now, I'm a young man, 23 years old or so. I've come from India. I have no money. Is this in Labrie uh, now? Where yes, did you meet him? In Labrie. In Labrie. In so Labrie, Labrie is what? It's a home? Yes. It's a place where young people go that need yes. help? Yes. So I, I was, uh, there were about 10 or so houses that Labrie owned. It was fascinating. I was staying in the home of his son-in-law and daughter, okay. youngest daughter, which was two doors away from his home. And he uh, came to our place. And when he first saw me, now I'm just one student, and he bends down. That was amazing because, to greet me, to welcome yeah. me, that was amazing because in India, I would touch my teacher's feet. Mm. I will bend down before the elders and I will have to touch my teacher's feet. Here is a world-famous philosopher who is bending before me to welcome me and greet me. Now, this was not a show because as I began to listen to his teaching, this high view of men, he had a sermon, no little people, no little places, that you've never met an ordinary person. Mm -hmm. Every person is so precious that the Son of God came to this world to shed his blood mm-hmm. for that little person. There are no little people. He really believed that. He really practiced that. And actually, that's what I experienced with Jordan Peterson, that Jordan Peterson, when I, whom I met here in Fresno just 10 days or so ago, I was amazed uh, that the, the 11, 11 o'clock at night, maybe 10.30, He's meeting with 200 of us. He's been speaking for one and a half hours. He's tired. He's meeting 200 of us individually, and he really respected everyone. Now, you met him there, and uh, <clears throat> he uh, heard about your books and your uh, outreach, your ministry, your scholarly approach to, to life and all of that, and then he invited you onto his podcast. Yes. Well, my cardiologist, who is not really my friend yet, I hope we'll become... He asked me if I would go and listen to Jordan Peterson. I was in right India. here in Fresno. Yes, I was in India just a few weeks ago. On the twenty-first of April. Yeah. So my cardiologist paid for me to go. My wife wouldn't have allowed me to spend hundred dollars going and listening to <laughs> Jordan Peterson, but this was almost eight hundred dollars to have the VIP ticket. Yeah. To get photographs. Private audience. Yeah. But the reason my cardiologist did that was because he had read my books. The book that made your world and and this book changed everything and he wanted me to give these books to Jordan Peterson Mm -hmm. so I did and I chose not to sign my books and not to put any contact information because I didn't want to be promoting myself I wanted him to look at the the Bible and the role it has played Mm -hmm. in western history these books are about what the Bible did to the west so he as he started reading the back cover he asked me did you write this as an Indian? 
I said, yes, sir, I wrote this book, uh, the book, uh, this book, the book that made your world before coming to America. So he said, I'm really looking for books like this. I didn't believe him. I thought that, you know, <laughs> he's a celebrity who has learned the art of saying nice Being things. Being polite, every, right? Saying nice things to everyone. So I didn't believe him. But uh, next day, his assistant began emailing a number of people. Mark, uh, who is here in the room with us, he got an email. Somebody in Germany got an email saying, that, what's contact information for Vishal Mangalbadi? Because Jordan Peterson wants to talk to him. So then everybody gave him my contact information. And uh, he connected that uh, Dr. Peterson would, is reading your book. He would like to interview you uh, on his podcast. So I said, sure. So, the, so this is now about 30 hours after I've given him the book, 36 hours maybe. Jordan Peterson, when he got my email, he wrote himself saying that I have just finished reading the book that made your world. I'm starting to read your second book. This book changed everything. And I would like to interview you for two hours for the podcast. He read that book? Um, in, in, the, in one and a half days. One and a half days, uh, yeah. And I was amazed. You know, I'm not surprised that Jordan Peterson is interested. And we need to uh, tie that into your latest book, The Third Education Revolution. But just in closing out with Francis Schaeffer then, he spoke into your life. You were at Labrit. You were living there. And you came to realize that we are called to be salt and light. We're called to be that city set on a hill, which cannot be hid, and to go out and to influence, to be that leaven that influences uh, the loaf to to grow and, and fill the whole earth. Is that, is that correct? True. So what struck me both with Schaefer and with Jordan Peterson yes. was they didn't think that I was an evolved animal. Right. They really, at least Schaefer, very consciously believed that I was a special human being made in God's image, so precious that God would send his son to die for my, in my place for my salvation. So he really treated everyone oh my goodness. with tremendous respect. God doesn't make junk. And Jordan, Jordan Peterson has become such a mentor uh, and a hero for so many young men, but for men and women alike, because this uh, world uh, with the vicissitudes and uh, the tossing to and fro by every ideology, uh, they've lost their moorings as far as their value and their identity as a creation of God. And uh, Francis Schaeffer and Jordan Peterson have that common link, don't they? Yes, except that in Schaeffer's case, it was a very deliberate understanding of what the Scripture teaches about the value of human beings. There you go. Made to, in God's image to be his children, to be priests and kings. There you go. To priests. manage God's kingdom. Well, that's so important. you yes. know. And so he wasn't just a philosopher. He was a Bible scholar. Yes. Francis Schaeffer was author. Yes. If you're not familiar with him, listeners, look him up, Google him, look at, at the history that he brought, uh, yeah. the, the great deposit to history that he brought as a follower of Jesus. So I think practically uh, Peterson has already come there, that the greatness, of, and I have a whole chapter on this, that the greatest discovery of the West was the discovery of human dignity. The whole abortion industry there you go. doesn't believe that a child is a precious human being, precious person made in God's image. God sent Jesus to die for that, to mm -hmm. give eternal life to that child. State wants to give us the right to up 
kill that child. Well, it's just a blob of tissue in their yeah. mind, you know, and so there isn't that real value, and that's they so know, important. They know better. Yeah, science is clear. They know better, both scientifically and every woman who's pregnant, she knows better. That's right. But they, it is the university that has enslaved the Western world with deception. Well, this is where we need to transition into your book because, you know, Francis Schaeffer's book, Escape from Reason, I think of the book, uh, The Closing of the American Mind regarding universities and how that uh, the university system has become secularized. I mean, all of the Ivy League schools, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, uh, Stanford, of course, in England, Cambridge and Oxford, they were all uh, founded upon a Christian worldview. And this is what flourished uh, education. This is what uh, caused uh, uh, debate and free speech and the biblical concepts of tolerance of conscience, uh, you know, and freedom of thought, um, free speech, and all of this is is rooted in the scriptures. and And so now you uh, are being influenced by the amazing, uh, you know, person Francis Schaeffer. You know, you're you're moving forward in, in in your ministry and such, and you are seeing this happen in the school system yourself, uh, being a scholar and a student, uh, and then a lecturer. So you are seeing that the universities have lost their minds. There's no mooring in those Judeo-Christian principles that are so important. And and you have studied history thoroughly, and you're realizing that there's a, a first education revolution. Again, the name of your book, your most recent book, uh, you have several scholars that are writing in the book, chapters, uh, and it's the third education revolution. Um, and so... The first education revolution is the Carolinian uh, Renaissance. Is that correct? Yes. Eighth, ninth century, the emperor uh, Charlemagne, mm-hmm. uh, Roman Empire has disintegrated. He is now beginning to rebuild. He's a Frankish king who mm-hmm. becomes Roman emperor, uh, blessed by the Pope and the bishops. Now, he believes that to convert someone means to baptize someone. So he uses the state power to tell the pagans that you can better get baptized, otherwise you get killed. So just the act, <laughs> ipso facto, ex opera operato, by the working of the works of baptism, you are saved. Yes. So Elquin was a British theologian philosopher. He was returning from Rome to England, mm-hmm. and he took a detour to see the Emperor Charlemagne, and when he saw what Charlemagne was doing for the glory of God, Mm -hmm. threatening to kill pagans if they don't get converted. Uh, He uh, explained to Alcuin that salvation is by faith. People have to choose faith. You can't be forced to love God and love your neighbor. It has to come from inside. This is work of the Holy Spirit. So you do not convert by baptizing but by persuading people, faith comes from hearing, faith hearing by, from the Word of God. Yeah, and faith by definition is volitional. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So once uh, uh, Charlemagne understood that uh, to that salva- salvation comes from faith, mm-hmm. faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God, yeah. and to dis- a disciple is a learner. So to disciple means to educate. Mm-hmm. So... Charlemagne understood that to convert is to educate, to disciple a nation is to educate a nation. Mm -hmm. And that started the first education revolution. Now, education had been going on in Europe, particularly through the Irish monasteries, Mm -hmm. uh, 
off to the forest. There's a book out called How, uh, How the, the Irish, Irish Saved the World, right? Civilization, yes. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, this is after disintegration of Rome yeah. that uh, education had been going on. But it had no state patronage. There were no school system, right. uh, no university system. So that was the first education revolution where Charlemagne started putting money into uh, scriptoriums, translation of uh, state money, scripts, yes, mm-hmm. and and honoring these scholars and writers. Yes. That flowered in the establishment of the universities, Bolinia, University of Law, mm-hmm. which is Christian law, Justinian law, not biblical law, but Christian law. Uh-huh. Uh, that was the first university because Constantinople. Uh, yes, it, it yeah. was written there. Yeah. A few theologians were commissioned by Emperor Justin sure. to write the Justinian Code, which is the foundation of all of Western law. Uh, so uh, once that was began to be taught in Italy, northern Italy, uh, the university system was born. So the first university was application of Bible to law. Second university was application of Bible to medicine because Jesus had said, go preach and heal. Now, this is the foundation of our Western Judeo-Christian civilization here, where the Bible is so uh, such a uh, um, an influencer and a uh, a foundation for our culture uh, in Western civilization. Sure. So, so for four hundred and fifty years uh, until fifteen twenty, universities exist. School system doesn't exist in Europe, mm-hmm. but universities exist. But university is an institution of the church either grows out of monasteries or grows out of cathedral schools. So Paris University grows out of cathedral school where the bishop is training future clergy. So university is an institution of the church, for the church, by the church. Christian worldview integrated into higher education. Yeah, not always biblical worldview, right, but, but Christian. Christian worldview. Right. Uh, it is, uh, so, so university is applied theology. How mm-hmm. does the Bible apply to law, etc.? Right. There you go. But once Martin Luther, when he's hiding uh, in the castle of Wartburg in Germany, yeah. translating the New Testament into German, when he begins to understand the concept of priesthood of all believers, mm-hmm. that every, every child of God is a royal priesthood, priest and king, Luther realizes that if every child is to be serving his father, managing his father's kingdom, you can't do God's will if you don't know God's will. Mm-hmm. If you're responsible to make sure that God's will is being done in Germany, every German Christian has to know God's word. Mm-hmm. So every child should be educated, this concept of universal education. Uh, this begins in 1520 with Luther's discovery of the doctrine of priesthood and kingship of all believers. Now, Luther writes a letter to the Christian nobility. He writes three books in 1520. First is a letter to Christian nobility, because he realizes that the church, which is running all the universities, is not going to be happy with him in trying to take the power of the priests to give it to the people. Mm -hmm. Because at that time, Clergy and yeah. laity, division, hierarchy, very strong. very strong. If you went for Holy Communion, only the priests got the wine. Other Christians got the bread. Priests got both wine right. and bread. So 
if everyone is equal, everyone should get both bread and wine. This triggered wars in Amazing. Europe yeah. because you were changing. <laughs> You're taking away the power of the priests, giving it to the people. Which is totally biblical. And, so, yeah. But Luther writes to the kings, mm-hmm. nobility, that this is what the scriptures command. This is what the church is going to oppose. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you have to support the re- priests who want to reform, you know, conform Europe to God's word. Right. So, so yes, he does bring in the support of uh, the nobility behind the ch- church's attempt to educate everyone, but it is the priest who is educating. So in Germany, actually, the first school was called homeschool. Mm. But it was not the home of the parent because parents were illiterate. It was the home of the pastor. Okay. The children will go to the pastor's home in the morning. Uh, they will learn some things. Then they will go home for lunch. Some of them will return to learn math and learn writing, etc. in the afternoon. And they will pay a little bit. But by 1524, Luther realized that most of the pastors don't have big enough homes to have 20, 30, 40 kids right. spending the whole day in their home. So then he wrote to the uh, elders of the city councils that you elders are responsible for the education of the young ones. You city councils build uh, schools, maintain them. Priests would teach them. So the pastors are the educated people. They will be the teachers. So pastor, master. Okay. This is Paul's model in 1 Timothy, uh, 2nd Timothy and Titus. Okay. That I'm an apostle means that I'm a preacher and a teacher of truth to Gentiles. Who has been sent. Yes. One who has been sent to do that. Now, we have an enemy called the clock here. And so I want to make sure we get to this third education revolution. But before we do that, so how did Luther and the Reformation influence the university system with regards to you know, Yale, Harvard, you know, Oxford, you know, all, Cambridge, all of them. Luther was a university professor at Wittenberg. He wrote extensively, hundreds of pages right. on how the university ought to be reformed. Mm-hmm. And he argued that next to the reform of, of the church, reform of the university is most important. So the modern education, which is not in Latin, but in English or mm-hmm. German or French. Dead or language. Latin, Latin became uh, dead language. Yeah, Came out of that. Although it took almost a hundred years okay. for the University of Halle in Germany, okay. it is called uh, Luther Wittenberg Halle University. That became the first modern university. So out of that came our universities. So the medieval university existed for almost hundred years after Luther. Okay. Although he planted the, the seeds, seeds yeah. of the Reformation, but the a uh, number of differences between medieval university and modern university. One is obviously the language mm-hmm. uh, that the, all the creation of modern vernaculars into literary languages was a task of the Protestant missionary movement. Uh, and this was meant so that every child of God gets to know God, gets to know truth. If truth liberates then truth has to be made available to the people in their own language. So thus, the university system having a, a Christian worldview uh, in America, in, in, in England, Great Britain, uh, and, and throughout the empire, uh, the British Empire. And so then now, over the last, uh, really, you know, 80 years, uh, the uh, university system has become secularized. Uh, they have forsaken uh, 
objective truth, postmodernism uh, creeps in and everything's relative and uh, they're wanting to question everything. Deconstruction comes in, the breaking down of uh, people's faith and questioning everything. And so then, so now here we are, COVID hits in 20, 2019, 2020, and uh, all of a sudden the fissures in our society and in the education system specifically are exposed that the school system is broken, that we've allowed uh, our children to be indoctrinated by leftist ideologies, by LBGTQ confusion, transgenderism and such. And so then along comes Vishal, it's, 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 it's uh, 2020, COVID, shut down, and you were even more awakened to the reality of the need for a third education revolution. Can you please summarize, what is that third okay. Education the, the, revolution. The second education revolution, which Martin Luther start, is now corrupt tool of the Satan yep. to deceive the nations, deceive there the you West, go. and enslave the West. There you go. So third education revolution is an attempt to take, equip the church to take education back from the d- state, back from the devil, back from post-truth, post-modern uh, intellectuals who do not know what is male and what is female. Take education back from them, restore it to the church, because church is the inst- community baptized with the spirit of truth. Wow. It is not the state which is baptized with the s- spirit of truth. It is not state's job to decide whether Jesus rose again from the dead and whether Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Church is not that everything that the church believes is true, yeah. but church is baptized with the spirit of truth means that the Holy Spirit enables the church in humility to seek truth, to find truth, to bear witness to the truth, to teach truth. If God's intention is to fill the earth with the knowledge of truth, knowledge of God, then it is the responsibility of the church to go out and disciple all nations baptizing them in the truth of the triune God, which has been revealed. So uh, it is an attempt to equip a million churches globally to become centers of hybrid education. Wow! Every church will have academic pastor, which is youth pastor version 2.0, or a homeschooling mom, which be- who becomes the church college mom, or church college, uh, church school mom. So every church which is closed Monday to Friday, at least... The building's the, sitting vacant the, most yes. of the week. They should have academic pastors. And in uh, California, William Jessup University... My daughter graduated from William Jessup. Uh, okay. uh, John Jackson is a wonderful man of God. Well, so today at 3.30... The president. After, after this interview, I'm talking to him. You have to tell him hello. He does know He does know me. I okay. love John Jackson. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, and I'm actually talking to... Mr. Jessup's son-in-law. Yes. So, okay. Mr. Jessup's son-in-law, Frank okay. uh, Shatner, he watched my video recording with uh, Eric Metaxas and gave it to John Jackson. <laughs> so John Jackson, two days ago, connected me with him. How wonderful. So 3.30 is our interview. So you have five, you have five uh, universities that are saying, we will give accreditation to churches. Listen up, pastors and leaders, that if you're willing to... Uh, join in in this third education revolution that uh, university is saying, we'll give you accreditation. Now, this is not a pastor taking on another job. It's an additional pastor, an academic pastor coming in 
to be that professor per se. Credentialed by Jessup University. And but there's other yeah four other universities around the world yes. that are that are. Well, no, we have about thirty universities. Thirty universities. But uh, uh, Dr. John Jackson is trying to get ten universities in America. Uh, so we already have Colorado Christian University, Crown College in Minnesota, there you go. Waldorf University, yes, in, uh, uh, Iowa, uh, and one or two in New Jersey. So uh, five or so universities in America have come on board, but a whole revolution is needed. Amazing. Every university will begin to work with 100,000 churches in America. 100,000 churches. 100,000 churches. Multiplication. See, see, 100, one church taking 15 students under an academic pastor. 100,000 churches doing that is 1.5 million students in the church. There you go. Every day. Discipleship multiplication. In second year, another academic pastor, 3 million students in the church every day. In a four-year program, American church can be discipling four to six million students every day. That is exciting. American church has the capacity to disciple America. It does not have the theology to disciple America. And that's what we should talk about sometimes. Oh, well, that's to be our next podcast. I'd like to tie in eschatology into that. We have Vishal Mengelwadi here, author, speaker, lecturer. What a joy. What an exciting time to be alive in Christ on planet Earth, in the center of California, we're broadcasting throughout the valley, on up into the mountains, and we're proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. The veil has been rent. We have access. God is with us. He's on the move, and we want to participate in making disciples. Vishal, this is such an exciting well, time and an amazing book. Can connect with us by going online. The website is thirdeducationrevolution.com thirdeducationrevolution.com. Now, I have an office in Fresno. Now, how long until we have a academic pastor in church in Fresno, do you think? Um, with your help, this year. Oh, my gosh. That is really exciting. And I think yeah. I have some connections that I can uh, yeah, make just, with you as well. We just signed an MOU with... Uh, Did you Jackson. really? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is a, a memorandum of understanding. So you're moving forward there. Here, locally in Fresno... Vishal, you are a joy. What a great connection that, that the Lord has made between the two of us and with KXEX. We're trusting that we're going to have you on again. And just as we close out again, the name of your website and any other way to contact you? ThirdEducationRevolution.com. My office is in Valley Dream Center, not just two miles from here. I'm very familiar with the Valley, Valley Dream Center. So I have now, an office there. Yes, uh, I've, I've done some work there as well. We'll talk more about that next time. So um, again, we're just delighted to have you. And uh, next time we'll, we'll, we'll take this conversation further. So thank you so much thank and you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for mm-hmm. having me. And it will be a great honor to get connected with churches and pastors here in Fresno, because this is becoming a very important city. Yes. I trust that the Lord's going to make those divine connections. Thank you again. Thank you.